What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Curtains Up podcast with your host, Anthony Festa. That's me. Super excited about the guest this week. It's the one, the only, Stafford Arima! <laughs> How's everybody doing? Good out there? We're excited to have this guy on. He's an amazing person. Stafford Arima is an international award-winning theater director who has worked for over 25 years in the entertainment industry. He was nominated for the prestigious Olivier Award for his direction of the West End premiere of the musical Ragtime. And in 2015, Arima made history when he became the first Asian-Canadian to direct a Broadway musical. That was Allegiance. He is currently the artistic director of Theater Calgary in Canada. Theatre Calgary is the largest theatre in southern Alberta and one of the most recognizable cultural institutions in Canada. We're so excited to have him on. Folks, take a listen. And on that stage was Marin Maisie and, and uh, Jerry Shea and Donna Murphy. And I stood at the stage door, and we didn't have Sharpies back then, but with a pen, and I, I got Marin Maisie's, uh, you know, autograph. Ladies and gentlemen, so excited to have one of my good friends and colleagues and just an amazing all-around human being, Stafford Arima, on the podcast. Stafford, welcome. Hello, friend. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. And how are you doing? Let's start with that. How are things? Oh, you know, I, I, I think of what Barbara Streisand said at the beginning of Funny Girl. You know, someone asked, how are you feeling? And she said, I'm nervous, happy, scared, excited. <laughs> Uh, I think I'm all of those uh, things. I'm I'm incredibly excited to be here with you today. And uh, at the same time, you know, as uh, the world is grappling with this um, extraordinary pandemic, it uh, just gives uh, such complexity to all of our emotions, I think, every day. It's beautiful and so well put. And I couldn't agree with that more. I feel like we now are realizing more than ever the importance of our relationships in life and what they actually mean. Um, the, the hold of the, the pandemic, the hold on theater um, that we have felt over the past year and a half has uh, forced us to become aware of a lot of different things within our identity, I feel like, at least for me. And it's something that I'd love to talk to you about because I always thought of you as such a grounded and patient um, director, and I, I dare I say spiritual, I don't know, because I felt like you always came from that background, but I think I remember you saying it, it wasn't really about, you know, meditation and yoga for you, um, but what are some of your dedicated daily practices that allow you to have such an openness quality when you come into rehearsals? I think gratitude is, you know, for me, the, the largest um, force that ever since I moved to New York City in 1998 uh, and spent 20 years there, you know, uh, remember, friend, that I was a, a kid from Toronto, Canada. I grew yeah. up in Toronto. I used to drive down in my uh, golf Volkswagen and stay at the 34th Street Hostel Y and line up at the TKTS booth. And I remember standing at the stage door uh, at the, uh, at, I think it was the Plymouth Theater where Passion was in previews. And, and on that stage was Marin Maisie and... Wow and uh, Jerry Shea and Donna Murphy and I stood at the stage door and we didn't have Sharpies back then but with a pen and I, I got Marin Maisie's uh, you know autograph and uh, so you know when I when you jump cut a number of years and you're actually living and working uh, and making a career in a city that was 
kind of like Oz to me. Uh, every day was filled with, I can't believe that I'm here. I can't believe that this is actually happening. I never took for granted that I was always a guest in New York City because I wasn't from New York and also being a Canadian, you know, I was, I yeah. guess what they call a resident alien uh, until I, I, be, I got my citizenship. So I think gratitude, Tony, has always for me been uh, something that I, I, I don't necessarily practice it in a kind of meditative way, but I think my circumstance just led me to feel grateful for every opportunity and whatever those opportunities brought forth, accolades uh, or calamities or whatever it might have been, it was still a thrilling, thrilling experience. I love that. And you just kind of touched base a little bit on what it took for you to get here. Can you can you go ahead and dive more into the beginning of your careers and, and what got you started and what got you to New York? Well, you know, I, I think like most people, you know, you grow up um, wanting something or dreaming of something. And for me, I, I knew at the age of 11 that I wanted to be a part of the theater. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know in what capacity. I think early on it was I wanted to be a performer. Uh, but I knew that the theater was a place that I could belong, that a place that I could, uh, you know, allow my creativity to have some sort of outlet. And it was really experiencing Avita uh, at the Schubert Theatre uh, in 1980, when I was 11 years old. And it was that production and that experience that really led me to this passion that has kind of uh, taken over me for many, many years. And, and then I moved to New York really because of the musical Ragtime, mm -hmm. uh, which was uh, had its world premiere in Toronto, mm -hmm. and I was an assistant on the show. And because the production had moved to New York, I had moved with the show and was planning to stay there for as long as Ragtime needed a kind of resident director type person. Yeah. And um, that lasted just under two years. And I thought I was going to go back to Toronto, but um, circumstances continued to uh, foster. And then I was there 18 more years. Well, looky, here we are in New York for 18 more years. <laughs> Talk to me a little bit about the the different worlds, uh, the different hats, so to speak, that you've like worn, you know, resident director, uh, director of, a, you, know, and I, you and I have worked together, um, and you directed many shows, and then also now artistic director of Theatre Calgary, and kind of the differences between all of those roles. Well, you know, there was a kind of evolution, I think, with regards to uh, my career. You know, you start off as a really as a production assistant, you know, where you're just uh, working with stage management and doing all of those kind of PA jobs. And then that led to really being an assistant for many years, I would say probably almost a decade where I was an assistant and, and that assistant decade took many forms and many titles, you know, mm -hmm. personal assistant to someone, assistant, uh, associate, resident director, all the, but in, inevitably, Tony, I, I wasn't directing, I was maintaining the artistic integrity of 
the work that I was, uh, you know, em- employed for. So then moving to director felt like a natural uh, kind of place that I wanted to go to. And that that decision decision was was not difficult, but I had to um, really stop taking the resident director jobs right. because um, I, you just get pigeonholed a little bit in the industry. Oh, you are an assistant or you're a resident or... Sure. You're a swing, or you're yeah. Uh, here are the labels. Here we can, and here are the labels. Same thing as a, you know, you're the understudy guy who's really good at being the understudy, or you can swing and play six roles. So this is what you're good at, and it takes a while for the industry to listen to what you're trying to say, you know, or, or hear what you can also offer in a way. So I hear you there. And so as a result of those labels, I had to really take a year off. And uh, didn't I, I turned down jobs? Uh, I kind of went away for a year, and then I, I kind of came out of the uh, of the closet in many ways, and and uh, directed Alter Boys, mm-hmm. uh, and so that uh, kind of then put me on a different kind of you know I, I had a different placard above my name. It was now director of funny shows off Broadway and yeah. so then that became kind of my thing for a, a, a while so and then inevitably moving into an artistic director position it was something that I never thought that I would um, do I wasn't ever interested in that I I really look at artistic directors with a, a, a great sense of awe mm-hmm. um, smart, smart people. Carrie Perloff, who used to uh, be the um, artistic director at ACT in San Francisco, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, Barry uh, uh, at the Old Globe, uh, Jack O'Brien at the Old Globe. Um, You know, these are amazing thespians that I I always looked up to. So I never saw myself in that capacity uh, until I was kind of headhunted to come to uh, Canada to, to be in this position. But I think in many ways, it's all about the uh, evolution of the artistic self. And mm. that's something that I encourage so many of us to continue to expand those muscles and to flex those muscles in ways that uh, perhaps uh, are frightening, we're insecure about, and we don't do. Talk to me a little bit about frightening and insecure because I'm remembering in rehearsals feeling what, what I love about doing a show with you. Um, and I'm so happy that I was able to experience this at such a young age. Uh, is I, I feel like often when we enter the rehearsal space, there's this need to, we all feel this need to impress or to show our worth or to um, make everybody aware of our talents and not really be accepting of we're already there because of our talents. And I feel like you have this beautiful ability to cultivate a space and allow people to feel free. Talk to me a little bit about how you do that. Well, you know, I think, Tony, the reality is everybody in that room on what we like to call the first day of school, you know, it's that meet and greet and we stand in a circle Everybody from the director to the production assistant is scared, is insecure, doesn't feel that they're going to say the right thing. Did I wear the right piece of clothing? Um, Am I going to say the right thing? Am I going to be funny enough or am I not going to be funny enough? And so knowing that, I feel in many ways the, uh, the, 
the purpose of that first day is to level the playing field and that there is no hierarchy, even though we all have different titles, director, swing, stage manager, PSM. But at, at the end of the day, we're all just theater geeks who love what we do and are kind of a little crazy because who the heck would dedicate one's life to um, an environment in an industry that uh, rejects you more mm. than, you know, uh, applauds you, puts your work up on a stage to have people tear it down, whether it's through a critic or through a blog yep. or through some kind of post. Who does that? <laughs> Crazy people, right? So, so I think because we're all misfits and we're all a little, we got a bit of that little crazy gene in us. For sure. To me, creating an environment that allows all of our insecurities and our, our strengths and our weaknesses to feel that we are in a safe, brave space, then that to me is what creates the best environment for creativity. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's beautifully said. And it only, and like you said, it only takes one person to write one mean thing somewhere and then it, it tears us down and it's, and it's finding the identity within, um, to make all of it work. And I just, I think it's beautiful. Uh, that being said in this, um, time that we have had off and this hiatus, so to speak, I feel as if a lot of people have been forced to reinvent themselves. A lot of, a lot of actors, in general have um, taken other routes. I became a certified personal trainer and have a client base and work in that world of things. Uh, and I've developed a new sense of identity and core values through this. As we move forward, how do we bring in what we've learned about ourselves to, uh, to the experience and to the table again without just pushing the restart button? Well, I think what all of the flexing and the pivoting and the improvisation has done for the world, not just the artists, but the world and the inhabitants of this planet, is to know that we can and will persevere through any kind of adversity. And we don't acknowledge that in ourselves sometimes. I think we limit ourselves. We even as human beings put ourselves in boxes. Mm. No, I'm a housewife. No, I'm an actor. No, mm. I'm only a swing. No, I'm a lawyer. Uh, no, actually, you're much, much more than that. Everybody was put on this earth to really explore Disneyland. I always love <laughs> using this metaphor. You know, we go to Disneyland and let's just say you have one day well you're not going to go to Disneyland at four o'clock in the afternoon and just go to the haunted house right. you're going to get there at 8 a.m and you're going to go to the haunted house you're going to go to the Epcot you're going to try this thing you're going to see go, it all you're going to see it all and you're going to you're going to ingest everything over 10 hours or 12 hours well I think of this planet I think of our time on this planet as kind of Disneyland and so why should we just only think about well I only am going to stay in Toronto or maybe I should only be this and I can't be that go to Disneyland and do it all and if you go on a ride and you don't like it well, that's okay. Doesn't mean you're a failure. It means you don't like it. So to me, I think what this pandemic has done for those who have chosen 
to really kind of expand themselves, get outside of their own shell, that they can realize that nothing's impossible and that inevitably you have the capacity as a human being to stretch, stretch and really stretch. I love that. That's so beautiful and relates a lot to, um, I was lucky enough to do a four-day Tony Robbins uh, online seminar, an event that was just fully immersive and spoke to a lot of these truths of um, the stories that we tell ourselves in our, in our head every day and, the, and that we can change that story at any given minute. And once you realize that, it's, uh, it's in a life-changing experience and I think it's a beautiful thing for artists to realize as well. Um, we, we were lucky enough to work on Bear together and I was lucky enough to have it be my New York debut, really. It was my first show here in New York, and um, I was so excited. Like you said, first day of rehearsal, I remember putting my clothes out on my bed like it was the first day of school, and I was um, younger, and it was a beautiful experience. I look back on that, and I'm very grateful for it even still to this day because I was a swing. I was able to be an offstage swing and cover five roles. So you offered me something for the first time ever in my life that I took with me. I got to see from the audience perspective, from your perspective, I got to sit and watch you create. Um, whether it was, you know, uh, John Hartmere was passing you newspapers and you were reading, you know, and, and approving things or checking out lines and, and something was happening on stage. I got to watch how you occupied the space. And um, I think it was something that everybody should experience. Can you talk a little bit about being on the other side of the table? You know, it's, a, it's, it's such a privilege to be uh, in a capacity to take uh, something that was and I know is so near and dear to uh, so many uh, theater lovers' kind of hearts, a show like Bear, and be able to go back into a kind of uh, incubation period with the authors um, and uh, a, a brand new cast and a creative team and relook at something. And, and as much as that show uh, in its new form, you know, we, we would kind of call it the revisal, um, mm -hmm. was, was heavily criticized uh, by some of the super fans. Right. What was so fascinating was that there was also uh, the polarized other response was a whole new group of people of young um, thespians or just even young people who had never really knew uh, anything about Bear or had heard about it, but then discovered this new version and became kind of, you know, uh, lifelong fans of that version. So, you know, it's a privilege, Tony, to be able to be in a room when something is in a living process uh, versus here's the show, do it, it's what it's, you know, it, no changes, no cuts, you just right. do what it's, it is. So, you know, to, to be in that position and to help shepherd uh, that revisal uh, to the off-Broadway production and to work with uh, really a plethora of new friends that, um, you know, wasn't just like, oh, we're going to pick all of the people who had done it before, but a, a 
great group of new friends that had never been attached either to Bear in the past or had are making their New York debuts. You know, I think of yeah. Travis, you know, um, yeah. uh, Wall, the choreographer who, you know, this was his first experience uh, working in a legitimate kind of theater s- scenario. And that to me was exciting and yeah. thrilling. And so it it's really just Again, gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. Sure, there are moments of frustration. Sure, there are moments where, you know, people battle out, you know, keep this or don't keep this, cut this or whatever. But uh, in the end, uh, something was created and it made an impact on an audience. And that to me is what our purpose is, is to be able to move, touch and inspire an audience. And if one person in that audience is moved, touched, or inspired by something that we have done collectively, mm. then our job is is complete. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. I'm, I remember, uh, I remember our first press event, and we were all nervous. And you even speaking the words of, um, I think it was something along the lines of, "We're giving birth to a baby, and it's going to have a lot of different reactions, and I need you all to be aware of that." And it just cultivating such inspiration and kindness within us all. So thank you for that. And thank you for being you. (laughs) Well, and thank you for all your incredible contributions to that production and your energy as a swing. And uh, inevitably you got to go on for, I mean, you went on a lot and (laughs) it was, it was so interesting because I, I didn't know if I would go on and then I ended up going on for everybody within a month. And so, you know, one day it was, I was the student getting picked on, and then the next day I was the student picking on, you know, the the other yeah. students. So yeah, it was a it was a beautiful experience. But one of my favorite things that I always take with me is um, that I got to experience the show from different angles and different perspectives on stage and off stage. And when you're in a show, if you're playing a role, you don't always get to experience that what it feels like from all the different angles and even different seats in the audience as well. Mm. So. And, you know, how wonderful also for you in your first experience, you know, in New York to be a swing and then jump cut later to be the lead in Miss Saigon. And for for then for you to have an understanding of what a swing does, not just because that's what swings do, but you've experienced it. So you have an empathy uh, and an understanding of what that kind of role is compared to you just being like, oh, I've only been the lead, so I don't even, I know you're important and we love you, but you actually did it. Everybody's important is what you learn. Everybody's a everybody's a cook in the kitchen and an important aspect of the show. Uh, even moving on to when I got to understudy Fierro and Wicked and the importance of an understudy. And, um, you know, when I was doing Miss Saigon, I lost my voice in the middle of the show. I had laryngitis and I had to, I had to leave in the middle of the show. And it was one of the most embarrassing experiences of my life. And somebody was, somebody was there for me and they were there to uh, swing in and help. And, um, I just appreciate that more than ever. And I'm not scared to admit that we're all telling this story together. We're all in this together. And it's, it's a beautiful Thing when you can drop your ego and remember that. So thank you for instilling that in me in such a young age. <laughs> and why was it embarrassing? It felt it felt in the moment. Um, now I look back on it and I'm happy it happened because it humbles. It, it, it brought me back to 
um, reality and that we're all human beings. But in the moment, I felt like I was letting down that audience and I was letting down my castmates. But in reality, they all had my back. And they exactly. Were, they were ready to be there with me and for me. And um, yeah, I just, you know, I'll never forget that. And I love the fact that it reminded you, or at least today, it reminds you that you are human. And and that's what makes, I think, the electricity of live performance so thrilling that most audiences can't necessarily articulate. They just like it because it's live and it's in front of them. But to be there and have the electricity of the feedback loop coming from the stage to the audience and the audience experiencing that energy and then giving back to the performer and we have this great feedback loop but inevitably you are lit- literally up there breathing uh, uh, your 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 heart is pumping and if something goes a little awry then that's the way it is and so the humanness of that experience i'm so happy to hear that you've come uh to be awakened to that versus living in the embarrassment of it. Absolutely. It's, it's all a part of, you know, who we are. And I think that's beautifully said. And, and that's what theater is. It's a, it's a communication between those 2000 people or 3000 or 4,000. If you're in Buffalo, I don't know how many and, <laughs> and you, and the fact that you're not an animatronic and you direct this way too, which is beautiful. It's never, well, why didn't you lift your hand in that moment? Or why didn't you say the line exactly this way? Because the communication needs to be a living, breathing thing, an entity that we're watching, or else we get bored, don't you think? Completely, and, and, and we then lose the dynamic of what theater is all about, which is an instantaneous experience. You are going to experience something on that stage that you will never experience ever again in the history of the world because no performance, even if one is marking and quotations or one is just phoning it in, it's still living and the breath is different and the cueing is slightly different. So yeah, embracing the aliveness of it all is what makes it uh, great. And I, you know, I always think about you as a young performer, but just as a human being and how uh, generous of of spirit that you always brought to uh, all rehearsals and to all of the experiences during Bear that obviously has fed you and has nourished you over your incredible career as well. So that's great to see oh, that it's still, still there. You're too kind. You, you always hit me in the heart. <laughs> I appreciate you so much. Um, speaking on and we were talking about uh, kind of the super fans of it all. You also were in other shows that had, you know, Carrie the Musical had super fans as well as Alter Boys developed kind of also a super fan following. And what is it do you think about your shows that develop these, um, they, all, they all have nicknames too, I think, that all of these different super fans that follow your shows. Yeah, it's it's funny. I, you know, actually, I've never been asked this question before, Tony. So I don't really have a, a kind of a prepared answer. Um, but I think, you know, what those three shows, you know, Alter Boys, uh, and, you know, which uh, created the Alterholics, uh, yeah, Bear, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and Carrie, what I think is the commonplace of all of those stories is a 
It's they're all about the other,、mm. and I think in many ways、um, the majority of people on this planet feel like they are the other, even though they wear the Gucci belt or they get the Botox or whether they make a million dollars. Most of us always will feel like the other. So those three pieces, although very very different. Uh, in their execution and even in their storyline,、mm. uh, I think touches upon that that feeling in in the audience, and so fans form because they they feel connected to Carrie, or、mm. they feel connected to somebody in Bear, or they feel connected to one of those boys、uh, boy band、uh, performers.、Yeah. So I think that I in, in that. many ways is what. Brings a, a super fan energy to it, and you know I feel, you know now as as a fifty two year old kind of looking back at one's experiences, you know it it brings me a tremendous amount of pride to know that, you know I had some some small kind of contribution to、uh, a show like Alter Boys or the Carrie revival or even Bears. So、um, it's 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 an honor and privilege and. Uh, I will continue probably to always touch upon the other because me、that. feeling like an other、uh, for the majority of my life is probably why I'm attracted to that kind of material. I absolutely love that, and I think it all it it touches base on the fact that we all are others. Even the people who were watching in the audience can take their identities and their whether somebody's a lawyer, or an attorney, or a doctor, they can they can look past the mask of identity and a label and look within themselves and 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 see love, kind of in its purest form and what it really is. Yes,、yeah, see love in its purest form and see that.、Um, That they're not alone.、Mm. Uh, that that maybe I had a, a, a kind of crazy upbringing, and and、uh, whether it was a Catholicism or maybe the Jewish faith or Hindu or whatever it might be, and so I might not be a Catholic, but、mm-hmm. I can understand what that means. You know, when we did Altar Boys in Korea, I remember the producer came over and、um, watched it and said, "We want to produce it in Korea." And I, I was quite shocked by this because I thought, "Well, really? Like what?" And because I, I didn't really know that there's a huge Catholic population in Korea, and、oh. of course they have the K-pop boy bands. Yeah, that's so, all. That's so, all the rage. Yeah. <laughs> It, it just it just made sense, and you know when I was over in Asia directing a couple of times, I would ask the producers what is the what is the most popular musical that is produced in whether it was Korea or Japan. What do you、mm-hmm. think it is, Tony? In Korea or Japan, is it Alter Boys? No. It's Fiddler on the Roof. Oh, Fiddler on the Roof! Amazing. So, so you ask yourself now, Fiddler on the Roof, Jewish people, shtetls, like what? Yeah. yeah.、Um, well, it has nothing to do with understanding even the Jewish faith. What it has to do with understanding tradition and understanding、mm. how modernism, because Fiddler is really thematically about、uh, a family that's struggling with. A, a father that's struggling with his daughters that are becoming more modern,、right. and 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 pulling away from him. So that、uh, theme、mm. uh, struck a chord or strikes a chord with、uh, the Japanese audience or the Korean audience、Amazing. because. 
family is very important to them as is tradition so you know i think of all of these great shows and think of when you when you go past Carrie Stephen King and you understand that it's really about a a girl who is being bullied mm. uh, because she's different then it becomes universal and therefore much more connective versus you have to like a horror movie to like Carrie I love that and I love what everything that you just touched on culturally what a show can do and represent for um, a nation and a country and, and how people respond to it in that way. That's so beautiful. Very beautiful. Um, moving forward with theater, with theater on the horizon and shows already open on Broadway and, you know, September 14th, a lot more coming and the 21st, a lot more coming. It's big. It's a big time. And also where you are, Theater Calgary, uh, when is the opening date? In October. We're in, planning to do in October. October. Yes. Fantastic. Um, what do you, what do you, most looking forward to? I guess everything and nothing. And I say everything because once again, it's coming back into uh, the environment that, you know, we're used to, which is a live audience in a sacred space experiencing theater. Nothing, because I'm also very aware that it could be taken away at a at a breath's moment mm. uh, that a new law could come down and say you know shut down and and yeah. you can't have people in enclosed Ab spaces absolutely look at the experiences in in london with cinderella one of the castmates got covid and i mean it's heartbreaking because andrew lloyd weber has been just trying to get that show on its feet and luckily it has had a run and it's doing it beautifully well um it may come to the States, but you just watch, like you just said, you just don't know. It shows us we don't know what the future is. We can't plan for it. I love that. Yeah. And, and that's, that's goes back to the first quote, nervous, happy, scared, excited. I love uh, it. All of the above is kind of what I'm feeling, but I think that there is definitely, uh, and, and you can tell from the response of Broadway and other performing arts centers across North America, including Theatre Calgary, that there is a, a percentage of the audience that is very excited to come back and sure. really wants to, to be there. So uh, you, I think that in itself brings me a tremendous amount of, of joy to know that our art form that we love and we believe in uh, is appreciated even during a time where people sh probably should be scared about going into enclosed spaces. You Absolutely. Know. We're taking as many precautions as we can with the you know vaccine protocols and the masks, and we're trying to make the uh, experience safe because we want people to, at the end of the day, we want people to feel free. If I'm up on the stage and performing and everybody's sitting in the office, off, uh, audience nervous, I mean, think about the energy that I'm taking in on the stage as well. It's in, in you as a director and being on the creative end. Yes, yes. It, it's, but we are definitely just living through a, a, a very exciting and adventurous new time that will go down in the history books. And so uh, we are in so many ways the guinea pigs that are being 
uh, having to explore how to navigate um, everything that's happening. And I don't really believe in as pessimistic as this sounds, even though I am kind of a cockeyed optimist, is I don't know if this is we're ever going to go back to normal, meaning normal two years ago. I, I think there's going to be a new normal uh, that we are uh, we are uh, we're evolving into and through and maybe in 23 we will be in a new normal that at least will understand how to operate within these um, circumstances that are Absolutely. evolving around us and i love that little uh nod to uh rogers and hammerstein right like <laughs> uh south pacific correct yes absolutely um, lovely um and and very true um can you just talk to me maybe a little bit about your experience with Ragtime and, you know, I mean, being a nominated for an Olivier in London and um, did you did you get the chance to work with um, the late, great Terrence McNally by any chance? Yeah, I was very, 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 very fortunate to have had um, in my youth. Uh, I was in Toronto and I got a chance to work on the very first reading of Ragtime wow. uh, that um, I was, uh, I, I, my first job on Ragtime was the vice president of Xeroxing. So <laughs> my, my job was to uh, literally, I lived in a Xerox room. I should have had a mask back then because the fumes of the <laughs> Xerox, but it was, you know, a, a, a very large cast and a huge score and a huge script. And my job was to uh, basically print uh, and copy and collate all of the script pages and the new script pages and the new score pages. Um, and then my second time uh, working on the show, which was the second reading, I was actually Terrence's assistant. Wow. And uh, I kind of I, I graduated from the Xerox room and uh, and uh, got a chance to be right beside this brilliant man who so brilliant. Um, was able to squeeze the essence out of Dr. O's novel, you know, mm. like a, a thick novel with a gazillion characters. Yeah. And, and Terrence's brilliance was, uh, as the librettist, as the book writer, was able to, to bring the essence of ragtime to a, a libretto and then being paired with um, just the best people in showbiz, Stephen and Lynn, mm. um, uh, created really a masterpiece. And, and that creative team led by Frank Galati, who directed the production, Graziella Danielle, who was the choreographer, uh, and, uh, this amazing, these amazing authors, Terrence, Lynn, and Stephen, plus a design team, plus a cast with Marin Maisie, right? The, the person I stood in line for. Yeah, now in she's, in, she's in your show, yeah. Now she's in your right <laughs> and so- um, I love that. Um, but it was, a, it was an incredible experience to be a part of, I, I think, a, a musical that was so far ahead of its time. You know, we were planning a year and a half ago to do a, a reunion concert. Um, and uh, it was just around the time of uh, George Floyd and mm -hmm. uh, and and to to think about how this story 
uh, about some guy named Kohlhaus in 1902. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now we're looking at, you know, 2019. And the story really hasn't changed. Uh, so to be a part of that show and then to be given this extraordinary opportunity um, in uh, in 2000 and I guess it was eight or I can't remember now to yeah. direct the West End premiere and to be given this opportunity to not recreate the Broadway production, but to 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 do a brand new, entirely brand new production was a, a gift from uh, Stephen, Lynn, and Terrence, and I will always, uh, um, you know, they are the reasons I have a career. Aww. They really are, and and I've said that to them, you know, multitudes of time. But they they gave this kid from Toronto who was a Xerox boy. I love um, this story. Yeah, this is awesome. An opportunity to direct their show in the West End. So. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's aside from my personal connection to the show, I think it's really one of the greatest musicals that have ever been written. And I completely agree. Yeah, its relevance today is is shattering. More impactful than ever. Yeah, absolutely. And it wasn't just you who was nominated for an Olivier. There was, I think, eight nominations total, if if I'm correct. So the whole the production as a whole was a, was just a beautiful production and and so well put together can you talk to me a little bit about the the process of kind of finding the creative team where uh, the magic just all kind of lines up because you seem to surround yourself not always by the same people but people who um who either whether there's a tension there but also an understanding um who can uh, help you to get to the final product you know, I learned um, when I was uh, younger, um, uh, prior to me being the vice president of Xeroxing, uh, <laughs> I had a, I had the wonderful opportunity to um, assist Harold Prince on mm. Showboat in Toronto. And um, what, um, you know, there were so many incredible gifts uh, just in watching uh, this man uh, direct and navigate and, um, you know, work with a creative team, uh, uh, actors, musicians, everyone. Uh, but, you know, what I, what I could always tell from Hal was that he had um, a loyalty to a number of his designers. He had worked mm-hmm. with, uh, for example, Eugene Lee on a number of projects. Uh, he had also worked with the late, great uh, Howell Binkley on a number of projects and also had worked with an exciting group of new um, designers, uh, Beowulf Borat, for example, uh, you know, I, n- now an incredibly established designer. But I remember the first time Wolfie got a chance to work with Hal. And so w- what I learned from that experience was uh, surround yourself with some colleagues that, you know, perhaps you've had a few shows under the belt and you have a, a kind of uh, a language uh, yeah. that's just easy to navigate, but also to not forget 
about the emerging artist and okay. about the uh, and so that kind of combination coming together was something that I kind of in many ways borrowed from Hal and I think about my experiences where working with for example Howell Binkley um, on three projects um, Bear was one of them with with us Tony and mm -hmm. Allegiance uh, was another one and a show called Ace um, Anyway, we have had a number of, of times together, but then there was also uh, times where I'd work with a, a younger designer that had not had that kind of experience. So, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a crazy mix of people again because uh, we're all just thespians or yeah. creators at heart, and egos sometimes flare up and uh, it gets uncomfortable, uh, but we can always be reminded at the end of the day that we're there for one purpose only and that's the show absolutely and to tell the story that's right that's right and, and i and i love that um can you talk to me a little bit i love how you brought up um hal and um the amazing people that you've been able to learn from so young in your career do you think uh, obviously men mentoring is an important thing do you feel like that it's a dying breed these days or do you feel like there should be more mentoring these days i hope it's not a dying breed because inevitably you know the emerging artist of today is the is the is the future artist of tomorrow so mm. uh mentoring for me was uh just part of my entire like probably first 15 years in the theater and i had the the great fortune of being mentored under people like harold prince uh and uh, even though i wasn't a choreographer but being there with graziella danielle mm. i worked with susan stroman when i was an assistant and uh her uh her ex-husband who passed away mike ockrent um uh frank galati i mean tons and tons of people and so I always felt that it was essential, uh, especially in the casting of shows that I was working on uh, mm -hmm. in New York, to not just go to not just go to the tried and true friends that had the forty-eight thousand credits, but to find people uh, that had never been on a New York stage before or had never designed on a big stage before. So, yes, I hope that mentoring hasn't disappeared i i have a program at theater calgary called tc mentors and it's it i i brought this into existence when i, I came there four years ago because it is essential to me and um yeah. it it we we can't lose that that gift of of sharing and expanding the young friends that's beautiful also touch base on uh we could touch base on broadway deep Broadway Dreams Foundation, which you're also a proud um, uh, member of as well, and you've always been an advocate of, and I think it's so important to get to the roots and, and touch and touch the community right at the, uh, the beginning. Yeah, you, we've got to always remember to nurture that that uh, the artist within and the and the artist within at at you know 15 years old or 19 years old or sometimes 25 years old uh uh needs the nutrients and and but in addition to you know being able to share the nutrients i always say to the young person throw it all away 
Just because I say to you it's important to work with established designers and combine them with young people or whatever does not mean that that is the way. Uh, It's my way, and it Mm. was perhaps a way of other people, but you will find your path, and you will fall on your face, and you will soar in the heavens, and you will do all of the above, and you will create your own story throughout that journey. And it's not just for them, it's for me as well. Throw it all away, because you're going to fail, you're going to do well, you're going to have good auditions and bad auditions. Tell me a little bit about the audition process for you. What is it that you really hope to see when an actor walks into a room for our listeners that are actors? Well, you know, I've just been through four days of uh, generals uh, here in Calgary. We do... We just basically, it's like a big open call and we get the chance to see uh, all of the friends of the community. And it's been a long time since we've actually been in a room. Now everyone was masked, social distance and all of that. Uh, But I think inevitably what I want from anybody who walks into that room is to just do you. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, It's so impactful when uh, the artist shares themselves obviously there's texts that they have memorized or songs that they are bringing to life but we want to see you we want to see the brilliance of you and and in so many occasions uh actors will not will be scared to kind of reveal themselves and 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 hide behind the character um and i and i would encourage to to, to, as I keep saying, just do you and to also know, and it's really important that anyone who's listening gets this because this is a true fact. Everyone behind that table wants to hire you. We do. We don't sit in a room going, we want you to not get the part. We want right. you to fail. We want you to whatever. No, we want we want to be able to go, I want Tony, I yeah. want Bobo, I want yeah. Lolo, I want you. And yeah, so yeah. that 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 knowledge, hopefully, even though maybe the face might, we might have a resting face that doesn't look very happy, or maybe someone's tired and their eyes look drawn, but we do want to hire you. And that's I love something. that. That's beautiful. I mean, can you talk to me a little bit about the actor who, um, <laughs> I always joke, I say, uh, has had a really good year, but, you know, isn't getting health insurance or isn't paying the bills. And by a really good year, I mean, maybe he or she is always in the final five. Uh, So they're always down to the wire, but they never quite get the job. Um, But they knew that they were up for it because once it gets down to the final three or final five, it's like picking a different flavor popsicle because we are all the different unique people in a sense. And it's just how you would like your show to go at that point, right? It is, and so much of it, and, and, and it might be hard to understand, but chemistry is, is so, um, it's ephemeral, and so I, uh, it's impossible, you know, it's not just about your 6'2", and the leading actress is 6'5". It's, it, it's very rarely about the physicality of people, unless there's something very specific that's needed for the part. But sometimes, and especially for me, I can only say that it's, it's a kind of ephemeral chemistry 
that uh, appears in, you know, uh, in the callback or in if you put two people together and, and you have them read a scene. Um, and and that ephemeral chemistry is obviously different for me than it is for another director. So, right. you know, it's it's an impossible um it's impossible for even an actor to try to hope and pray that that I'm going to be that person for this director because you just have to go in and do the best that you can know that you're giving 100% and in many ways then let it go and let it go and move on to the next and if if it happens it happens and if it doesn't as we know there's always another audition and another opportunity um, yes. But it's that's not easy to digest, and and and. But again, as I said a little while ago, we're all crazy. Why do we, <laughs> like why, why do we put ourselves to this kind of yeah. scenario? It, we, um, you know, we come in and these decisions are made in two to five minutes. You know, and then there's a callback and maybe another callback, so a total of what twenty minutes, and then you and then here we are. <laughs> I know, and so. And think about the the dancers who, you know, in the real olden days of, you know, the cattle calls and you have people lined up and they go down the list and go, no, no, stay, no, stay, yep. no. I mean, and that's basically just on type. Yep. You know, you get typed out and that's um, how how in kind of crazy way degrading must that feel and that that yeah. kind of feeds into our own insecurities. Oh, I'm, I'm not as I'm tall as yeah, her. I'm to this, I'm to that. Yeah, of course. Uh, just so you know, I actually, when I first auditioned for Bear, I went to an ECC, an equity chorus call, and it, and it kind of like worked its way up from there. and got brought in uh, from the beginning stages. So those, to, those who are listening, every audition matters. You never know. <laughs> oh, yes. And the other thing to remember is especially if you're auditioning for someone like Craig Burns or Bernie Telsey that, that don't just cast bear, but right. they cast a plethora of other shows. We had an actor for um, allegiance that we had seen in Los Angeles um, and literally was like down to the wire. We were going to hire this person. Then they had to come in for the dance call. And again, you know, the, the dance score was not as high as someone else. Well, we put this person through a lot, a lot. Uh, and how disappointing for that person to not then get the part. However, the great end of the story is that because they had been through all of this with Craig Burns at Telsey, mm -hmm. and they uh, Telsey casts Wicked, um, uh, Zach went on to then become um, oh, what's the character's name? The uh, Bach. Uh, That's Bach, right, yeah. Bach. Uh, so he became Bach because of of all of that work that he had put into Allegiance. Now he had to do all the work again for. Wicked, of course, but yeah. so you just don't know. You, you you just don't know. You think, oh shoot, I didn't get. Screw it. Uh, yeah. Screw Craig Burns or who cares about don't them? Don't do no. that to yourself. Yeah. Don't do it to yourself. Absolutely. You're auditioning for every show that all the time is casting for. Yeah. Anytime you can be in a room that you don't have to pay rent for, you're in the right room. <laughs> Mark, what a wonderful statement. Uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast and for just opening your heart as you always do. 
I can't, I think we've really covered the gamut. Um, I don't know if I have any other questions for you. Um, normally I do a fast five in the end, so I'll give you one of the fast five. Uh, if you could make any theater law that everybody had to follow, what would it be? Be nice. Be nice, you know, and, and nice is such a kind of generic word, but it was the first thing that came to my heart because I think in so many ways we, we forget about just the humanness. And, and this seems to be a recurring theme, at least in our conversation. And I know when we speak off, off site, you know, we talk about the humanness of, of each other. Yeah. Um, you know, especially coming through this time of, uh, isolation and loss, uh, to be nice to your fellow neighbor, you know, yeah. whether they are on the left or whether they are on the right or whether they believe in vaccinations or I whether they don't. I love that. I love that. So let's extend that to the theater, to backstage, to on stage, to the administrative offices, to the unions, to our audiences, to the bloggers. Uh, to the critics, and critics don't have to necessarily be nice and say they like the show, but uh, you know we've we've seen in the past some reviews where they move into territories, adjectives that really yeah. are not necessary. Well, we don't need to tear people down. Yeah, right. You can be critical and uh, and and be have constructive criticism. That's your job. That's what you're paid for as a as a critic, but. To always remember to be nice. So that's would be my parting gift to the world. I love that, <laughs> Stafford. I miss you. It's so good to see you. I wish that um, I wish I could be in rehearsals with you and preparing for a show. I definitely miss your energy and being in the room. It makes me want to create and collaborate. It's so good to see you. Well, never say never. Maybe we'll see you up in Canada in the next year or two. You know, you never know. There's so many things going on up there, it's, it, whether it's, you know, they're filming all over Vancouver and Theatre Calgary has amazing things going on as well. So I would just love to visit for sure. Thank you so much for being on and I um, wish you a lovely day and uh, thank you for your time and um, all the best. And I hope to see you again, friend. Stay safe, friend. Thank you for this. That sums it up for this week's episode of the Curtains Up Podcast. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, like, share, do whatever you got to do. Push all those buttons down there. Just make them good ones. Next week, we have on Matt Redman from DGRW. He's the youngest owner of a franchise talent agency in New York. Go out and see a show. They're all coming back. Bye.